This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Well, again, if you're if you're a visitor with us, uh, welcome. I know we've had a lot of a lot of new friends come into the life of our church over the over the course of the last year. So we're really really glad you're here. Uh, we are. Uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series in an Old Testament book. Uh, it's called the Book of Exodus, and I, I want to do this from now, from from you know, periodically as we go through this book, is just kind of remind us of of the big idea of what's going on in Exodus. Uh, so, if you're familiar uh, with the Book of Exodus, you'll know this. If you're if you're new to the Bible, maybe you don't. Uh, but we are in Exodus chapter 20, uh, which is where you find uh, what is commonly known as the Ten Commandments. Uh, but these are not just um, kind of these, these mandates that, that kind of popped out of nowhere on God's people. These, these are actually uh, words for what it means to live with God. And so the, the book of Exodus is a story of God's people traveling uh, from a life of enslavement uh, towards a life of freedom in the promised land. And we, uh, in, in Exodus chapter 20, uh, we find these people uh, in, the, in the middle of the wilderness. Uh, and the wilderness in the Bible um, is, is, is a really, it's a grand metaphor for our lives. Uh, so whether it's the wilderness or the desert or the valley, uh, this is the metaphor that God uses uh, to shape and form his people. And so one of the, the big working ideas for, for my preaching in this whole book is that God is more interested in who you are becoming as a person than where you are going. Uh, and so if I could kind of just spin off that. In, in other words, I think God is, is more interested in um, you know, the details of your life and how they are shaping and forming you right now uh, than he is in, in how he'll finally and eternally shape you um, in heaven and the coming of the kingdom. So again, big idea. God's more interested in who you're becoming than where you're going. Um, as we look at the law specifically, these are, these are the words that God gave to his people to help kind of shape their inner life with him. Uh, like, like if you're really going to belong to God, if you're going to be in relationship with God, what is it you need to know? And so he gives them these 10 words. And there's, there's theologians and, and scholars and pastors that have spilled a lot of ink, obviously, on these very important words. Uh, but one that, that perhaps did the greatest service to these commandments uh, to, to our use is a man named John Calvin. Uh, that name means a lot to some of you. You've probably got like a poster of him in your room. Uh, others of you have never heard of that man, and, and that's okay. Uh, but John Calvin, uh, in, his, in one of his writings, he came up with what is called the three uses of the law. And uh, the three uses of the law, uh, they've been kind of summarized in, in really uh, memorable ways. Is, is the first way is, is the civil way. So it's, it's like a muzzle. It's the law, it, it somehow civilizes humanity, right? It, like it puts a muzzle on people. Like it says, well, you shouldn't do these things, right? Uh, another use of the law is like a map. Uh, so it shows you kind of like where you're going, what your life should look like. So it's a muzzle, it's a map. And then the third way, which in my opinion is the most uncomfortable way, um, is it's a mirror. That when you look into the law, you see yourself for who you really are, and then you see God for who he really is. 
one, one quick illustration here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move into the text. Um, I've been a part of um, churches and, and small church plants for a number of years, and, and I've been in churches that have met in bars and in schools and in movie theaters, all kinds of different, you know, mobile churches. We, we will find a place to meet, but the, perhaps the strangest and most uncomfortable place that I've ever been a part of a church that met was in a dance studio. And if you've ever been in a dance studio, you'll know that um, the mirrors are very, it's a very important part of dance, right? You have to see all your movements from all the different angles. Well, try doing church um, surrounded by mirrors. Uh, it, is, it is one of the most uncomfortable, awkward feelings ever. And, and I, was, I, was, I was actually serving as a, as a pastor at that church. And so preaching in a room full of people surrounded by mirrors was incredibly challenging uh, because my temptation was um, to, you know, obviously not to look at myself, right? Like that's terrible. You, d- you don't want to look at yourself. So you're, you're always trying to look at everybody else and then you've got all the angles, but that ne- you know, it never fails. You always end up seeing how awkward you are standing up in front of everyone. Uh, here's, here's the thing about these next five commandments that we're going to walk through starting today and, and, and then following weeks to come. You are going to be tempted to hear these sermons um, for somebody else. There's going to be a temptation that says, oh man, I wish so-and-so were here to hear this one, right? Or, or maybe you're, like, you're just going to kind of nudge whoever's next to you and be like, are you, are you paying attention? This one's for you. Uh, please, I, I just want to, I want to, I want to invite you to not do that. I want to invite you to embrace the awkward gaze in the mirror and that you would see yourself in these texts, that you would see what God's law has for your inner life with him and, uh, and how it might shape you and how it might change you. So this morning, I'm going to read the, fifth, uh, the sixth commandment, which is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. But then I'm going to actually flip over to the New Testament, uh, to the gospel of Matthew chapter 5. So if you're following along, we're going we're gonna to do a little bouncing there. Uh, the passage in Exodus is, is much shorter. Uh, the passage in the, the uh, gospel of Matthew is, uh, is Jesus preaching um, on a mountain to a group of people, and what he does is he deepens their understanding of this commandment. And so I wanted you to hear uh, both, and we're going to walk through both this morning. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 says this, you shall not murder. And then Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 down through 26, Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have given us Uh, words that we can trust. 
I pray now that you uh, would take these words and that you would etch them into our hearts in a way uh, that we would know they're from you. We, we are interested in, in changing, Lord. We're, we're interested in you forming us and shaping us and making us like your son in places that we are not very like him. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, I don't often do this uh, audience poll, that is, but I need to do an audience poll because we're just such a new church and I'm just getting to know so many of you. And, you know, I use a lot of cultural references and shows and movies, so I just kind of need to know who my people are right now. Um, Breaking Bad. I know it's like a decade old and we're all tired of hearing about the Breaking Bad references, but I need to know by show of hands this morning, there will, there will be no prizes awarded, but you will have a special place in my heart. Who has watched all of Breaking Bad? That's impressive. Thank you. I'm so glad. We're, we're going to be okay, church. So I would say about half of us. So uh, Breaking Bad is, in my opinion, uh, the best written show that I've ever watched. Um, I... That's a big statement. Um, I think the way that uh, the, the storyline developed and the characters were developed, I'm really impressed. So let me, let me just throw you back to season three of Breaking Bad. For, for the 50% of you that have not watched it, I cannot catch you up on the whole context of the show. So you're just going to you're just gonna have to pick that one up on your own time. But season three, the season finale uh, is called Full Measure. And up to this point, the three seasons of Breaking Bad are essentially us uh, watching the main character, Walter White, uh, you know, high school chemist turned uh, methamphetamine producer. That's the content of the show for you other 50%. Um, it's, it's watching him break bad. It's watching him kind of go, you know, full throttle into the, to the darkness of his own, you know, his own soul and, and all of the impulses that that has thrown him into. But his, his sidekick and his partner is Jesse Pinkman. And kind of the, the subtext of the storyline is Jesse Pinkman is not as bad as Walter White. He hasn't fully broke bad. There, there is, there, his moral compass hasn't entirely spun south yet. Uh, but in, in, in season three, the, the final episode, um, it, again, can't give you the full story, but it, it, is, it is, you know, required... Uh, for someone uh, to die in order to preserve both of their lives. So both Walter and Jesse's lives are on the line, and in order for them to be preserved, somebody else must die. And to this point, Walter White has taken full responsibility for taking anyone's life that required to die to that point. In fact, he has, he has saved Jesse from having to take someone else's life. Uh, he's taken it into his own hands. But in the final uh, episode of, of season three, uh, Jesse, it, it comes down to Jesse having to do what has to be done, and Walt cannot save him from this. And so in the closing scene, you see Jesse Pinkman show up to this man's apartment, and no words are said um, by Jesse, but he, he pulls out uh, the weapon, and the, the closing scene, just really powerful, it just has you know the, the camera, which is a, another beautiful thing about the show, is just some of the cinematography stuff, the camera going down the barrel of the gun into Jesse's face and eyes. Uh, because he knows what he has to do and what he's about to do. And, and they, they just, in, just an incredible picture of, of Jesse's pain and his anger and his confusion and his rage that's all, all inside of him in that moment before he takes a man's life. And then, you know, you hear, you hear the weapon fire 
you know, clo close it out, end of season, cliffhanger, you know, you've got to pick it up in season four. But that picture of Jesse Pinkman and the anger and the rage and the pain and the fury that was inside of him, I think really captures what the sixth commandment does to all of us. In, in a way, the sixth commandment takes that camera and looks down the barrel of your life into your heart to discover what is hiding there. And, and, and I, believe, um, I believe, much like Jesse Pinkman, so are we, we are full of confusion and rage and anger and contempt for our lives in maybe ways that most of us are unaware of. See, the, the sixth commandment um, asks us this question. Have you felt the pain and anger and rage that is inside of you? Have you felt that before? And, and, and if you haven't, uh, the sixth commandment is saying it's, it's time to feel it. And if you have, then you'll know what you are capable of doing. Two things I want to kind of hang this, this sermon on this morning. And I, and I realize, you know, in hindsight, both of these could very easily be like the titles of Netflix documentary series. But, you know, we'll just save that for another day. Here's the two things that we need to look at. And we're going to, you know, point one is, is kind of Exodus 20. And then point two will be the Matthew 5 passage. So the first thing is we need to look at the art of murder. Uh, the second thing we need to look at is the heart of murder. So let's, let's look at the art of it and then the heart of it. So when I say the art of murder, um, what I mean is, is, is I want to kind of paint a picture, um, as it were, to, to just show you um, what murder could look like. Um, because the word that's used in Exodus chapter 20 is a very specific Hebrew word. Um, in fact, there are, there are eight different Hebrew words that could have been chosen uh, in that context for the taking of someone's life. Uh, but this one is specifically tied to the unlawful taking of life. So, so in other words, this doesn't, this doesn't include what I would consider lawful taking of life. So... Um, th there's another word and, and, and bigger discussions on things like war and the taking of life in, in just wars. Uh, so it doesn't include the conversation around um, capital punishment and whether eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth would apply. Um, it doesn't include self-defense. So if you, you know, in order to preserve your own life, you must take someone else's life. So those, are, those would be categories, and I'm not saying that the Bible condones all of those categories necessarily, uh, but what I am saying is that, 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 that this, this commandment isn't, isn't dealing with those particular things. So that would be, that would be under the category of lawful killing. But, but in unlawful killing, um, there, there are things, and, and I, I kind of want to kind of rank down on these. There, there are some very obvious things. Uh, there are maybe some maybe less obvious things, and then there are some least obvious things that, that would kind of paint this picture of what murder looks like. So the kind of the low-hanging fruit, the obvious stuff, would be like a premeditated murder. Uh, I mean, murder is, is the best translation of this word. Uh, so a premeditated, thought-out taking of someone else's life uh, is, a, is a direct violation and prohibition of this command. Um, also would be like um, a negligent taking of someone's life. So, so maybe in, in our culture, we would call it manslaughter, 
right? So like some, some level of ignorant or negligence on your part of taking someone's life. That would be under this banner of, of murder. Uh, kind of the lower tier of, of less obvious things that should be considered in this commandment are things like euthanasia. So this would be, you know, the, t- the taking of, of life, you know, perhaps when somebody deems it appropriate for themselves. This, this would also, in, in my opinion, include suicide. So we, we, are, we have no right to take our own lives. Uh, that is, that is image-bearing lives are to be preserved at all cost. Um, I would say even medically-assisted suicide could fall under this category. Um, so the, the bigger, grander picture, right, is that this commandment um, is, is exhorting us, is commanding us, is inviting us to preserve life, image-bearing life. Uh, one, one, other, you know, one, one other application of this, and, and I tread really lightly here. Like I, I, I'm almost walking on eggshells, and, and I'm not walking on eggshells on this because uh, I'm afraid to like name the truth of this, but I'm walking on eggshells because I I would I would venture to say that there are men and women uh, with us that have been deeply affected by this. And before I even name it, and maybe you know where I'm heading, like let me just say this, particularly if you're visiting, like you know you you kind of walked into something here. Um, if you're like we our church, we huddle we we huddle and gather around good news. We are here to be around good news today. We are a good news church. And so when I say what I'm about to say, I, I, just, I say that with that in mind, like just a caution, knowing that there are men and women that have been affected by this. But I would say under this commandment, the prohibition and violation would include the taking of unborn life. So those are, those are the, the major kinds of things that I think fall under the ban- banner and canopy of this commandment. But maybe uh, the, the less obvious, and this is where Jesus brought us, right? Jesus takes us to the heart and motive level of this commandment. And so, and, and this is where I'm going to mostly linger today. Uh, you know, are there, you know, some who have physically taken life with us? Possibly. Um, but, my, but my, again, I would venture to say a majority of us kind of linger in this lower tier of heart-level application of this law. So, um, again, painting the picture of murder. Uh, murder looks like, um, you know, traffic rage, right? When, when that guy that's just weaving in and out of you and just to get ahead of you and you pull up next to him at the red light and you kind of glare over and you're just like, you know, what a careless guy. And maybe there's just like a, a gesture of like, man, I just, I wouldn't mind if that guy got a flat or, or maybe that guy got in a wreck. Maybe that would teach him his lesson. You know, maybe you're not wishing death on him, but, but there's that, that gesture inside of you. Or, or maybe it's just kind of that, that colleague that's just under your skin that just seems to get all the looks and nods and promotions. And you're just like, you know, I just wish that guy would get found out. I know he's, he cuts corners, and I just, I, just, I just don't want him, you know, being noticed anymore. Or, you know, and, and right now, I, I mean, we are a very angry country, right? You know, to name the obvious. We have been thrown into the hornet's nest of divisiveness over um, politics and masks or no masks, vaccines or no vaccines, Trump or Biden, 
like we are in the thick of like the angriest moment I know I've ever lived in, but maybe most of you have ever lived in too. And so, you know, when the 350, you know, dually diesel with the flag, you know, flying high and, and Trump all over the, the bumper sticker pulls up next to you um, and you're just, you know, you're just disgusted that someone could live like that. Or, 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 you know, maybe it's just, and I'm totally stereotyping here, but, you know, like the Prius rolls up uh, with, um, you know, with uh, some different bumper stickers that you're, you're not a fan of. And so what, whatever camp you're in, you, you know, you know that, that, that simmering kind of angst and churning and rage and fury that's like in there, right? We, we feel it. Or when we look at our, our school boards and we just think, you know, how can they not have everything together right now, right? Or we're just like, you know, talking about our teachers with our kids behind their backs and just like, just this angst about all the things that are going on, right? Like, and the list goes on and on and on. And here's the thing, and I, and I was talking with Heather about this this week, like the line of like what is murder and what is not is, is super blurry, right? Like we, I mean, you know, you know, can I get mad at someone in traffic? Maybe. Is there a righteous anger in, in there? Maybe. But it's just really blurry. And, and, and what Jesus does is he brings us down to the bottom, right? And he says, listen, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. And so here's the mirror, right? Like this commandment is for you and your heart. Where have you murdered? Who are you murdering? And is there any hope for murderers? I mean, that's what this commandment does at face value. It says, listen, uh, you know, G- Jesus is most interested in you becoming like him in the areas of your life where you are least like him. So as much as you may want, you know, to talk about contentment, you know, the other commandments or, you know, adultery, like you may feel real comfortable trafficking in some of those because maybe you've, you know, you've, you've experienced some growth, but like this one looks at you and says, have you looked at yourself? Like, have you done the, the inner work of seeing what's actually brewing inside of your heart? So Jesus helps us do that when he says, look at the heart of murder, because the heart of murder is this. Here's what murder, when you boil it down to, this is what it says. You are in my way, and I want you out of my life. You, you have become a barrier to my progress or growth or my opinion or my worldview or my freedom, and I want you out of my life. So I will either slay you literally or I will just slay you in my heart. And Jesus wants us to address the heart of that. So let's, let's actually just kind of move through what Jesus says in chapter 5 of Matthew. Here's, here's how it really boils down. You know, Jesus in, in excellent, you know, Jesus fashion always illustrates and kind of connects things. But his, his main point, and he says it in three different ways, is murder is liable to judgment. So he says, you know, the one who's angry with his brother. And when he says brother, he's not talking about a family tie. He's, he's just talking, he's talking about his na- your neighbor. So the person who's angry with somebody is liable to judgment. And then he kind of ratchets it up a notch. He says, the person uh, who the ESV translates it insults, but another, you know, the, the 
the, the real Greek, it's an Aramaic word. It says, whoever says raka, which is people are kind of debating what that means. It could mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an insult. It means like empty-headed, right? Maybe like a, a, a modern day, like you're a moron, you're an idiot. You know, who are you to, you know, follow those kind of laws in the land? You know, you know what I'm talking about. So he says, the person who says, someone, says raka, you know, they are liable to the council. And that was both an earthly council, the Sanhedrin, but also the Bible regularly relates God's judgment to the council. So he says, he ratchets it up a notch. And then the top notch, he says, anyone who calls, their, uh, calls someone a fool is liable to the hell of fire. And so in all those ways, what Jesus is saying is this, the things that are going on inside of you are liable to judgment. Like it is, it is deemed worthy of God's um, punishment, his wrath, his curse on your life for the things that are going on inside of you. So then, then the question is like, okay, well, is there any hope? Um, like what, what hope is there? If, if, I, if I've got this built up bitterness, resentment, rage going on inside of me, what hope is there? I will, uh, I do this from time to time and I always do it uh, with the permission of my family. Um, but yesterday we, uh, we, share, we share parts of our story up here. And yesterday was uh, Heather and I's 17th wedding anniversary. So we've been married. You won't be applauding when I'm done with this. But um, yeah, 17 years married to Heather. We got married at 13. Um, so, all right, no more laughing or applauding because it's, it's about to get serious. But um, we've been married a long time. And about three years ago, uh, my wife was diagnosed uh, with an illness. And the years leading up to that diagnosis uh, were the hardest years of our entire marriage, our life, uh, we, um, we were fighting like we'd never fought before. Uh, you know, this was, and you guys were around for, uh, some of you were around for this. This is when we were, you know, pastoring and planting this church. And we were in the worst place of our life. And um, there was this season where I was filled with so much rage and anger and bitterness and fury um, towards my wife's um, ailments, and this was before her diagnosis, that I didn't even realize it until we neared her diagnosis. And as we were nearing her diagnosis, um, doctors were talking about cancer being a possibility. And I was grieved by that, um, but I was so fueled by anger and, and what I now know is contempt. And contempt is like the top tier of anger. And contempt is like the number one factor for whether people get divorced. Like you, it, it, you know, across the board, if you look at people who have divorced, the common denominator is how much contempt is in the marriage. In other words, how much do you hate your spouse? And at the, at the climax, or perhaps just the downfall of our valley, uh, and, the, and the conversation of cancer being a possibility, I had churned thoughts of my wife's death being the best thing for us. And I share that um, because it, it's just, I don't think I'm the only one who has ever considered what life without their spouse could be like. 
that even if it was just a flickering thought of, man, I want out of this marriage, but I refuse to divorce because I love my reputation too much. And you say, you know, what if she got in a wreck? Or what if she got cancer? Or what if he, you know, had a hiking accident? Like, I, I, I highly doubt that I'm the only one that's had a flickering thought of murdering their spouse inside of their heart. And here's the thing that God did for us, and I believe he will do it for you, is he began to not only bring us to an awareness, and I say us, I primarily mean me, an awareness of the contempt that was hidden in my heart, but then he began to remove it. That he took anger out of me in order to heal me. And what Jesus says, you know, again, he illustrates this. He gives us two uh, two ways of what, 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 what is required of you. So if you come to a place, and maybe you weren't as, as deep down as I was, but if, if you're looking at this law and you're saying, man, I'm exposed. Like I have, I have murdered people in my heart. In my heart. I have, you know, I have, and who do we murder? We murder people who either hurt us or expose us. And so people have hurt you. Who have you murdered? Like, have you murdered a relative? And murder could just look like you've just cut them off, right? Like you will not talk to them anymore. You're done with them. Or, or, or maybe you've just, you know, you've murdered a friend. You just, you just cannot stand their politics, their positions, and you've just, you've just, they're dead to you. You've removed them from your life. Whoever it is that you've murdered, Jesus says this, and he uses really, really stark illustrations to tell you what to do. He uses the illustration of a church, and he uses the illustration of a court. He says, listen, if you're going to the altar, which would be our common day church, he's like, if you are at church and you realize you've murdered someone, here's the best thing to do. Pack up your camping chairs, head to the house, and you know, go make it right. Or second illustration, you know, if you're going to court, if, if you're taking this person to court to execute them for some wrong that, you have that they've done to you or you've done to them, if you're on your way to court, he's saying, listen, before you even get to the judge, you need to make it right. And because here is the ethic of Christianity. The ethic is love at all cost. The ethic of Christianity is that we can love our enemies. And here is why. This is, the, this is the hope of the passage, and it's, it's discovered in Jesus' little statement, you'll never get out until you pay every last penny. Did you know if you are harboring and stewing anger inside of you, it is, it is killing you, and you don't even know it. It is poisoning your very life. And Jesus is saying, listen, you will continue to die a slow painful death in your life until you will address what's going on inside of you. And he says, listen, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. Do you know why that's good news? The good news is because Jesus Christ actually did pay the last penny. See, the good news is that God, um, before the foundation of the world is the way the Bible talks about it, he had planned and predestined for his own son to be murdered. That there has been, never been, nor ever will be a more heinous homicide case than was put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you look at his life, and I mean, he went through kangaroo court, right? It was a joke. 
He was put on trial and was, it was found wanting. Like there was nothing wrong with his life and yet he was put to death at the hands of lawless men. He was, he was crushed like no one's ever been crushed before. Not only was he pinned to wood, which was common, uh, he, he, he died, he lost breath. So the very, the very one who breathed life into image bearers is the one who had his life taken away by losing breath. Like irony of all ironies, the life giver gives his life. He's hung on a cross and he's forsaken by God. He's left, he's abandoned by his followers. He's crushed for his people. And the good news is, and this is for anyone here who's listening, the good news is that Jesus Christ paid the last penny of penalty for pastors who murder their wives, for wives who murder their husbands, for friends who murder their friends, for relatives who murder their relatives, for kids who murder kids, Jesus Christ paid the last penny and he didn't just do it to like get us off the hook. He did it so he would change us from the inside out. He did it so he could tell us to do things like love your enemies as I have loved you. Here, and here's where I'll land today. Uh, there, is, there is nothing more painful than being killed by someone else. And if that's ever happened to you, like if someone has just cut you out of your life, um, you've, been, you've had a part of your heart like seared off for so long and you, you won't return to it, um, this is what Jesus is inviting you to do. He's saying, listen, I know the world's not right. It is not as it should be. It is okay to be angry and furious and upset. And I know your pain. And I know your pain so deep and I know your pain so well and I know your pain so close that only when you will go there in your life will you know how near I am. So who have you murdered? Who do you need to call? Where is confession the healing for your soul? That's the invitation of the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. Let's pray together. Father, it is, it is really uncomfortable for us to be exposed by your law, for us to put the mirror of your law up to our hearts is painful. But we thank you that with you there is everlasting kindness that because Jesus paid the very last penny, that we know if we will go there with you, that we will not be punished, we will not be tormented, we will not experience um, broken friendship with you. In fact, what we believe you're saying is that that's actually where we'll experience the closest friendship to you. That we will go to our places of harm the people that have hurt us or exposed us, the people that we want nothing to do with, that we've cut off, that we continually give silent treatment or ignore, 
Lord, it's in those places that you will draw near. So I pray for those that are listening today, Lord, for all the murderers that are in our midst, that your mercy would be fresh, that you would fall on us in the kindest of ways, the closest of ways, that you would guide us into the deepest, hardest, darkest corners of our heart where we rarely let you in. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 